Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Manu Varma, you've been a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, and someone that I look up to since, since the day that we met. I couldn't be happier to have you on the One Degree Shift Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. You're too kind. I think the admiration goes both ways, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. When we first met, and thank you for saying that, Traction on Demand was in this high growth phase. Nothing's changed. It's still in a high growth phase. Now, this is a multi-year growth phase. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Traction on Demand, and, and what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, you bet. So uh, I've been kind of working in the HR space for about 20 years. I think what's really interesting to me is this whole concept of doing good is actually good for business. So that's kind of put me into a really unique position at Attraction, although for the better part of five and a half years, I was running that more traditional HR side. Now I've kind of moved into a role. We kind of, we talk about uh, friends of Tractions or FOTs. When I say FOT, I mean friends of Traction, not friends of Trump, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> so I have to qualify that out. So it's really just kind of making more friends of, of Traction, whether it be in a sales perspective, whether it be in the community perspective, whether it be in a recruiting perspective, so kind of taking that, that front-end responsibility a little bit away from our CEO, Greg Malpass, to give him some more bandwidth. So what I'm really focused on really is just that focus of doing good is really good for business and try to spread that mantra. Okay, so let's dive all the way in then. Let's just say 24 months ago, how many uh, employees did Traction On Demand have and, and roughly how many do you have now? Gosh, yeah, I think we're about 332, two and a half years ago now. We're just shy of 900. We kind of originally started off here in Vancouver with an office in Toronto, then Montreal. Then we've also got uh, space in Dayton, Ohio, and in Houston, Texas. We opened an office in Jaipur, India, just over a year ago. Uh, we have a couple of offices for our two product lines, one in Dublin, one in Seattle. And then we launched this, this small town initiative in Nelson, BC, just to really see if we could bring kind of those big city jobs to people in smaller communities that maybe A, want some real estate relief or just want a different quality of life. And then we all know that there's a, a strain on technology resources across North America. So this was also another kind of recruiting tactic to see if we could include some other people that might be otherwise outside of our, our net that we cast. So, so big growth and, uh, and more growth to come. I mean, that's a lot of F-S-O-T, right? The, you know, everyone <laughs> wants to go to Traction's birthday party. That sounds like a fun place to be. Now, what, what's fascinating to me about all of these different locations is that a life in Ireland is going to be different than a life mm. in Nelson, absolutely, is going to be different than a life in Vancouver. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're attracting people to these different offices. And maybe I can qualify that a little bit by saying, I'm a believer that a company can have a shared mission, vision, and values, but the experience or the life that employees are going to live is going to be wildly different skiing yeah. Whitewater in Nelson than it is skiing Seymour or Cypress in Vancouver, if you're even into skiing at all in an urban city like this, is going to be different than going to the Guinness factory in Dublin. So can you yeah. tell me a little bit about how that story changes mm. when you're looking to attract people that share a similar mission and vision, but might value a wildly different style of life? Sure. I mean, I think if you look at those one degree shifts, right? And I think first off, it went from a, a shift of moving away from skills-based recruitment to more values-based recruitment. Who you are as a person, as opposed to necessarily the skills you bring to the table. 
And I think the thing when I'm meeting with people, uh, I always reminded of this line, I think Picasso said it, you know, the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose is to give it away. And so that kind of value, if you will, although how those values manifest themselves in terms of behavior might be different from location to location, I think we all share that same common theme in our hearts. It becomes a lot easier to get people to buy in and be, have the right people on the bus. So fortunately, from the beginning, we always wanted to have this business to be a certain element of altruism. But as we've grown, we've certainly seen the attraction of people. You know, as we've grown, we start getting on the radar of more traditional candidates. Sort of, they come in with a certain expectation. I want my corner office, and I want my expense account, and that was things that are completely incompatible with who we are and what we're trying to do. But the concept of giving what we're good at, which in our means is technology, has really spurred that that growth. And we've seen that really in Jaipur too, where we've really worked with Linus Tile, which is a, a group of women that are making tile to be exported around the world. So you don't see that in a, in a regular business type. And looking for people that are interested in doing good has really been the game changer for us. So to be clear, you're still looking for many of the similar skills, requirements, education, fundamentals. You're not downplaying the skills needed to do the job, but the differentiator then might be the fact that traction is about doing good and that that might not be the corner office that you had in previous places of work. So then my, my question is, how do you proactively articulate the experience that someone's signing up for? If, if I were to rephrase that, how do you build a greater sense of trust and manage expectations before somebody even gets to work? Because so often we're promised the world work, work is going to be like Disneyland. We'll have a ball pit and a nap pod and flex work and everything's going to be great. And we forget to realize that, hey, you've got 40 hours of work that you have to do a week. So let's go back to traction. What does that job description look like so that people know before they walk into the office that they're not going to get a corner office, perhaps, that they might be living the life of a typical Nelsoner or Dubliner? And then how do you build that sense of, of community before they even get there? Yeah, it's interesting. I think part of the, the, the screening process too kind of helps and try to expose, I think imagery is also is always very important. I mean, we've leveraged video communication during that recruiting cycle, even before they've come in for their first interview. Uh, so I think that sets the stage. Second, I think it's really about getting away from the interview and having a conversation. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think we have to trust ourselves and, and talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't want to ever oversell a company. Yeah, I think a lot of what we're doing is amazing, but it's not always amazing for everybody else. So I kind I of I always, specifically for senior roles, for me in particular, I'm, I'm pretty blatantly honest. I'm like, look it, you've come from X company. I know what the culture is like. I know what it looks like. This is kind of what we're at, and we're not planning on going to that corner office Da, 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 right? And I can usually tell by people's reaction, you know, or they self-select out. You get a chance to, to, to see a lot of people and what their expectations are. And that's what's the interesting part. If I look back to four years ago, the type of person we were getting in, they're open to risk, they're open to being more entrepreneurial. Whereas now we, we get a lot of people that are coming in with those expectations. Not to say we're not getting people that uh, want to be entrepreneurial because we also see a subset of people that are like hey i'm done with that corporate gig i really want to make a difference and yes money's important we've got to eat but money isn't the be all end all my corner office is my be all and, and my, my expense account is my be all end all mm -hmm. um, so i think so, it's about shifting those up by being really brutally honest and trusting my gut a little bit too tell me a little bit more about trusting your gut 
for me, it's a lot about looking at body language when I'm talking to people and, you know, are they bought in? Are they responding back to me? Is this like a, are they getting a glimmer in their eye? And I often walk candidates around the office just to get a sense of, hey, look, there's no corner offices. Everybody is on the floor, including our CEO. Um, there's, no, there's no hierarchy here. I make a big point about talking about our evolution in, in terms of doing good. And, and that kind of started off with working for, with nonprofits pro bono, and we still do that. Uh, and then working with uh, nonprofits on a grant-based level, and then how that emerged into you know, working with nonprofits which is 40% of our overall revenue now with these big enterprise mm-hmm. level nonprofits. So really trying to do good. And, and this isn't just a company. We like to think it's a community. And what does that mean? And I'll say, this is mm-hmm. what it means to me. What does building a community mean to you? And a lot of those answers to me really tell me, you know, how are they going to be, right? It's, it's all that personality. Um, you know, what's important to them? How do they measure, how do they measure success in themselves? How do they build pride in themselves? That those are always really good indicators for me of whether they're going to be successful attraction or not. So what does it mean then when you talk about values? And look, mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening, we might have think that we've all got this crystal clear perspective on value. And and the more I get into this conversation, actually the more different the definitions of what value is for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you might value a hot cup of coffee in the morning sure. or you might value coming home to a, a clean apartment or house uh, when you're finished work, or you might value autonomy, flexibility, and freedom, <laughs> which then means that we could literally value almost anything. So when you're looking for value alignment, can you tell me a little bit more about what that looks like and how you've got consistency across traction? Sure. Right I think, first of all, it is blurring that barrier between personal and professional. Mm-hmm. One of the lines I hate the most is, it's just business. So that is one of the things that I always look for. People say, oh, well, you know, work is work. And I'm like, no, we're trying to really change that for a couple of reasons. First, I think when you blur that line, people are going to bring their best versions of themselves and they can, they can be feel free to innovate. We also get access to that their spouses, their brothers, their sisters, their children, right? Which in traction cases actually been a really great recruiting playground, which was completely uh, unintentional. But I think we've got our handhelds. We're always kind of at work and giving people that autonomy, not to have work-life balance, but I would say work-life integration or work-life harmony. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that they got people that have their back at work and knowing they don't have to be in the office from nine to five, but still get their, their, their work done. And I think value as opposed to values, one of the things that gets me coming to work every day is knowing that what I'm doing has an impact to my community immediately, but also as, uh, on a larger scale. So for example, this past year, we, we digitized uh, big, big Brothers and Big Sisters of America, right? So which enabled them to reach out to more people to give more single children, more exposure to mentorship. That's pretty amazing, right? And so the efficacy of being able to work on things like companies like that and nonprofits like that, this makes your work all the more rewarding. You know, if I've on a tough discovery, knowing what the the end result is going to be is that we're impacting more. Now, measuring that is is always a challenge in, in terms of how we're impacting our communities has been a challenge. But I think step one, is finding a way that we can do more with our nonprofits. And typically what most nonprofits take is money. And, and that's great, but that always goes to program delivery and things like it infrastructure where we come in are looked at as overhead and never get funded. So the ability to scale and such are, is always taken away. So that's why I think this is a very unique way to give through what we're good at. And that also just creates this, this amazing retention 
with people because they're working on meaningful work. And I can't think of a more, a bigger driver of overall wellness than working on things that are important to you. So when we talk about value, I come to work, no matter if it's a long day ahead of me, I value the people that I'm working with, but also the customers in the nonprofit world that I'm working with. Uh, although not all our customers are nonprofit, but 40% of them are. But even though I may not be working directly with that big brothers, big sisters, I know I'm working for a company that, that's trying to affect change. So then on, let's just say the front lines, what does doing good look like for the average employee? Does this mean they get to work with those nonprofits or yeah. does this mean that they get to do more, that they do more pro bono work, that they get to volunteer yeah. in their communities more? What, what does that look like, you know, sort of in, in a year in the life of? We have a couple of ways that people can do it. So first off, you know, we do two uh, pro bono tours a year, one on the East Coast, and one on the West Coast, where a group of 30 consultants get together and they drive either between New York, Toronto, and Montreal, or from Vancouver down to San Francisco and work with pro, uh, nonprofits pro bono the whole way. Then, of course, we have, you know, uh, hours for giving where we can select any nonprofit that we want to and donate our, our, our work days and work with them. So th the option is open to them. On a larger scale, we like to give people work that's meaningful to them. So when they're picking their teams or uh, the different delivery squads are working with, uh, they get to say like what they want to work in. Like, is it, is it health sciences or is it nonprofit? So we try to do, we try to funnel work to people uh, that's meaningful. So ideally everyone in the company can touch something nonprofit kind of every day that they come to work. Yeah, I totally get that. So what would you say to someone who's trying to recruit a team then or recruit that next individual that's aligned with what they're trying to build and what they're trying to develop? How, mm. What kind of question might you ask or how might you sort to filter the person that's actually the right fit for them? I think that the, the biggest challenge and as we've scaled and as other companies scale, the biggest, I think, stress and uh, danger is that you want to make a quick hiring decision because there people are in a lot of pain, right? You're too mm -hmm. busy. Mm -hmm. You want to relieve that pain. You see someone who's a real good fit on paper and you're like, yeah, right, right. Right, they're okay. And I think that, that that's probably the biggest danger. I think we have to remain true to yourselves because as soon as that breaks, it becomes very difficult to, to rebuild. Um, right. So those questions, you know, for me are really around humility and where they get their, their greatest strength from and you know, how they see themselves as, as being successful. Like, is it truly money? Is it um, status? Or is it kind of giving back and, 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 and building a community? Are they very individualistic or are they kind of more open to, to team-based? So those things to look for, you know, they always, do they always answer in the we or they always answer in the I? Is it a good blend of both? Those types of things. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me a little bit more than too about the video component? You mentioned a little earlier in the hmm. chat that you use video to, to help with that process too and maybe help people self-select out just as importantly as self-select in. Absolutely. So part of the recruiting process, as they kind of, when candidates pass their first screening, they get invited to a candidate community, which is just basically, you know, a wiki where they can interact with other um, employees that already work here and look at videos that we may not necessarily want to put on the website. Because what we're trying to do is get a sense for how engaged are they with us and to give them some information and some real good looks at who we are, what do we do in our spare time, what does that actually look like, what do the relationships mm -hmm. look like, can I picture myself within this group of people, right, if I say I'm a, you know, a member of a marginalized community, do I see myself fitting in with that? So that's, that's often something that we uh, have leveraged effectively, and then we also have videos on the website. And moving forward, sure. too, we, we, we communicate uh, our, our weekly huddle here, uh, Traction Every Monday is done through video. Um, just mm -hmm. to get to different time zones simultaneously to keep that message and keep that that value that we um, hold so near and dear to our hearts consistent across um, all our offices. 
So as we start to sort of wrap up the conversation then, what does getting to 1,200 or 1,300 people look like? Is it more of the same or do you have to you know, change things up a little bit to get to where you want to get to next? And what, is that, what does that plan of attack look like? Yeah, it's interesting. I think our, our strategy will continue to be somewhat the same, but I think we will continue to tweak it. As we continue to enter into new markets, what we require is that kind of that principal strategist or that subject matter expert. Right? So people that have maybe deep platform experience on the Salesforce platform, which we work on, or deep industry experience, whether it's a vertical and financial services or retail or what have you. And to make sure that we're bringing in enough people that have that, what I would call wisdom warrior quality so we can help mentor some of the younger people because we want to continue to to bring in younger people, bring in people that don't necessarily have background in technology from an education perspective or experience. But to do so, we need to have people that have been there, done that. So that will always continue to be our structure and kind of, I look at it as a bit of a diamond within each of these teams. So the top of the diamond, you got you 25% of people that are been there, done that. The middle kind of section, the thicker part of the section is more kind of the intermediate uh, and then the bottom part of that diamond would be those juniors coming in just to make sure that there's always a, a sustainable way to help people uh, succeed. And I think in that way, you know, over the years, we've seen that diamond not be in diamond form or be in a pear shape or or in the wrong side of a funnel. But that's probably the biggest uh, strategic focus to ensure that we can provide great opportunities for people internally uh, at all, uh, all sides of that diamond. Fantastic. Is there, is there anything else that you want to share with us that we didn't cover today? I, I don't think so, Eric. I, I think uh, thanks so much for uh, wanting to learn more about what we're doing here. We've lot, got lots to learn. By no means are we perfect, but we do think that doing good is, is good for business as we've seen it play out for us. And we just love mm-hmm. to see more businesses take a bit of a shift because we, with the rise of populism, both on the left and the right, I think people are looking to companies to do more. And I think it's incumbent upon us businesses to do such. If I could share one thing, I think that, uh, that I think we're going to see a, a big shift in the coming couple of years. Traditionally, we've seen that the brand equity comes primarily from the product or the service that the company provides. And I think that we're going to see a big shift to a lot of the brand equity coming from the employee experience and how employees talk about that company too. So instead of Apple just being known for you know their product, I think Apple will become known more for their employee experience too, and their employees will become major ambassadors. I think what I'm hearing from Traction is this is already embedded into the lifeblood of the company, knowing that not only is Traction going to provide a fantastic service and the place of work is going to be a major competitive advantage as the company continues to grow. There's that blurring of personal and professional again. There it is. Manu, thanks so much for your time. For those who are interested in Traction On Demand, check out the website. For those who are interested in everything that they're doing and looking to build a company or a team of their own, Still, check out the Traction website. It's a great resource and a great model of how to do things right. Manu, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Always a pleasure. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit ericturmundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.